now listening to Grace City Portland. Daniel and the Lion's Den. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the one. Daniel chapter 6. Guys, we're actually going to work through the entire chapter. Um, just a, it's a bit of a chunk. I'm not going to lie. 28 verses. Um, it's always a little tempting to kind of paraphrase bits, but it's just... The story virtually tells itself. So we're going to read through the whole thing, um, and I'm going to do my very best to break it up into bite-sized pieces and highlight some things that I think are particularly significant. Because this is not just a story. It's not just, oh, it's an interesting, slightly weird bit of history. Um, This is God revealing himself in history. There's something deeply theological about how God is, is showing up in this story and, and what it says about him and what it says about us. Because ultimately, this is a story that God invites us into. This is, this is for us. This is for today. Because God hasn't changed. And let's face it, uh, people haven't changed a whole lot either. So, we're going to read the story. Daniel chapter 6. Here we go, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius, he is the king of Persia, the emperor. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, it's like governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give accounts so that the king might not suffer loss, or might suffer no loss. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Stop there. So Daniel is living as an exile in a foreign and hostile kingdom. Um, In fact, he's been there quite some time now. If we go all the way back to the beginning of Daniel, we read about Daniel, um, and three of his friends, in particular, they're all renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard that story, another classic. And uh, they're deported. Uh, the, The kingdom of Israel... The southern kingdom, specifically Judah, is finally taken over. Um, and this is really due to the fact that God's people have been living in just utter rebellion against their God uh, for a long time now. And God has very patiently warned them over and over and over, repent, uh, come back to me, stop chasing after other false, empty disappointing idols and trust me I'm, I'm your God I'm your king remember how I rescued you um, but they refuse they refuse and they continue to live in rebellion as many of us do let's be honest and God says right have it your way um, and they, they're conquered they're conquered by the Babylonians initially 
um, the Persian Empire eventually then takes over the Babylonian Empire. And, and this has been Daniel's life for some time now. In fact, this is the third king that he's, he's now serving under. It started out with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, eventually, Nebuchadnezzar ended up uh, handing off to his son, or perhaps grandson, um, Belshazzar, who sort of served as a regent emperor for some time. And then eventually, uh, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by Persia. And so now we have a guy named Darius who's running the show. And once again, Daniel is serving uh, among the elites in that government, in that system. And he distinguishes himself This is not the first time that we're told that that Daniel has an excellent spirit within him. Because of his wisdom, because of his commitment to excellence, because of his faithfulness to God, he stands out. He's noticed. He's promoted. And he's entrusted with, uh, with authority, power. But you know what Daniel's really doing? He's not just a really smart guy who knows how to work the system and is trying to make the best out of a really bad, oppressive situation. He's being faithful to God. One of Daniel's contemporaries, who is a prophet, we talked about prophets last week, is writing around this time that Daniel's living as an exile in Babylon or or Persia, A prophet named Jeremiah, if we go back a book or so, we can read the writings of this prophet Jeremiah. He writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon instructing them how they should get on with their life as as exiles, how God would have them live in this foreign kingdom. And so Jeremiah writes this letter which is really God's word to his people. And Daniel, of course, gets a hold of it. And he's living his life faithful to God. You guys want to know what Jeremiah says? This is so interesting. It really is. Jeremiah 29. You can flip over there if you want, or I'll just read it to you. Most of our Bibles will entitle Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. He writes a letter to Daniel and some others who are living as exiles in Babylon. Listen to what he says, Jeremiah 29 verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that includes Daniel. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what he says. Verse 5, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, get married, have children. Do not decrease... Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is what Daniel's been doing for like the larger part of his life now. Um, If you do the math, read the commentaries, he's probably in his 80s by now. He's been living faithfully to God, 
being a blessing to the city, serving the king, praying for the welfare of this city that he has been taken captive in uh, for, for God to bless them, for God to prosper them, for God to uh, provide for them. Because in their welfare, he's to find his welfare. And this is what Daniel's been up to for a long time now. He's being faithful to God. It, just as a side note, this, this has a lot to say to us. If you ever try to kind of wonder or figure out, how am I meant to be like interacting with the, the city I live in? Which, by the way, isn't exactly like the most godly city in the world. <laughs> don't know what city really is. Um, I love Portland. Don't get me wrong. I love the people here. But like, we got problems. We've got problems. Um, I remember before moving to Portland, I, I was doing my very best to research the city. I want to know, like, what, what, what's going on here? What, what can I learn? Even just statistically, what, what is Portland all about? One of the first stats that I came across was that Portland, I don't know if you've ever come across this, and this is based on like uh, data, police reports, like actual research that's been done. Portland has the highest grossing commercial sex industry per capita in North America. That's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. That's not, it's not a positive. Um, that's a huge problem. That means deep brokenness. That means uh, immense pain. That means people who are living um, in oppression. That means people are not doing well. That means the city is not flourishing. Uh, how are we meant to, to see ourselves and view the city and live in a city that's, that's not the kingdom of God, that's not heaven on earth? We're to bless the city. As we live faithfully to God, we're to pray for the city, we're to serve those in leadership in the city, we're to be a blessing in a city that's broken. We're to pray for people who are perhaps um, incredibly broken, hurt, perhaps even um, part of the cause. That's what Daniel's doing. We're to view ourselves as exiles in a place that's not home. This is not our permanent place of residence. We're meant to see ourselves as exiles and as agents of blessing in the city. Let's keep going. Verse 4. This is what happens. Then the high officials, so these are some of the other high officials alongside of Daniel, and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard uh, to the kingdom. That is Persia. But they could not find a ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint in, against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, 
O King Darius, live forever. Suck ups. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So what is the result of Daniel's faithfulness? Persecution. Persecution. Bad. It's nothing good. Uh, he's a blessing to the city. And in fact, he's, and we'll find out more explicitly as we go on, that he is a highly valued employee of the king. Like he's an asset. He's living faithfully to God. He's like employee of the month, 20 years in a row. He, he just lives to bless others. He's living for the welfare of the city. And what does he get for it? Conspiratorial persecution. You ever thought, you know, maybe, maybe if all us Christians, if you're a Christian, got together and were just super duper nice to everyone all the time, then perhaps people would see that we're, we're not just a bunch of bigots who love to hate and whatever, but they'll see and they'll like us and maybe they'll even like our Jesus. And no, I don't know that that, it, no, nope, maybe, not in this case. What did they get? What did Daniel earn for his faithfulness to God? Persecution. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry to say it, this is not an anomaly. This isn't just like, oh, this is so weird and random. No, this is kind of the story over and over and over again. Every time you encounter a man or a woman of God or even a people, a church who decides to take a stand and be faithful to God, it, it, it's, like they've, they've, it's like they're picking a fight. It's like someone out there, there's this like, the New Testament describes it as, a, as spiritual forces of wickedness. There's like a clash of kingdoms that occurs. This is what happens. This is, this is what Daniel gets. Um, conspiratorial persecution. Have you ever experienced persecution? Have you ever um, been that one person at your job who, like, you're just working your tail off and you're doing it because, like, you reckon God is, he's excellent, he's good, he's generous, uh, he's a servant. He's constantly loving and giving for the sake of others. Um, I should totally live that way. And then people around you are like, why are you, you know you're making us look bad? Now I know this, this doesn't always go down like this, but it does happen. Have you ever experienced this? I was uh, joking this morning, we were at prayer, and uh, 
Josh White, the pastor of um, the Door of Hope, he was wearing a blazer. I've never seen my, my man in a blazer before. I, I think he's, I'm beginning to rub off. <laughs> Not really. It's totally the other way around. This guy's got this kind of style, and I'm like, gosh, I gotta step it up. Somehow I gotta step it up. Um, but we were joking, I said, hey, nice blazer. And he was like, I've secretly always wanted to have a job where I have to wear a blazer to work because I actually kind of like it. And I said, yeah, I used to wear a blazer. I was a middle school teacher for about four years. I taught math and science at a middle school in Southern California. And I always wore, uh, I, I would even rock a tie occasionally. Um, and I was the only one who would do it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my colleagues did not appreciate my, my zeal for excellence. <laughs> what are you going to do? Let's continue. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Interesting. Daniel is, he's confronted. He's given a choice. It says, when he knew that the document, the injunction that had been signed by the emperor, when he saw and he knew the document had been signed, like that was it. The, the law has been passed. Legislation in effect. Daniel, what's your move? What are you going to do next? What does he do? He does what he's been doing all along. You could say he plays right into their trap, only he doesn't because he obviously knows exactly what's going on. Um, he probably knows the law as well as anyone else. And he knows exactly what's going to happen if he persists in living faithfully to his God. And so he makes his choice. Although I might argue that he didn't really make a choice because he made a choice a long time ago when he started praying three times a day because clearly he had been doing it because it was his colleagues, his other high officials that thought, hey, that we're sure he's going to keep doing. And if somehow we can find a, an angle, a way to exploit his faithfulness, his reliability, his spiritual integrity, then we've got him. And they knew it. They knew he'd fall for the trap. And he did. This is kind of challenging, is it not? Back at middle school. Any teachers in the room? How do you, how do you feel about preaching the gospel to your students? Not a super good idea, right? Could get fired could get fined. I don't know. What, what, what's, what, what happens these days if you decide to talk about Jesus in the classroom? I know. Controversial. Very. I'm not suggesting anything. Okay? If you're getting nervous, like, oh, what are you saying? Like, no, I get it. I get it. It's, it's not, it's, it's a complicated subject. But what would you do 
if you had to make a choice like Daniel. And this is not like a choice between do, do you remain faithful to God or do you like get passed up for the promotion? Do you remain faithful to God and keep praying or do you possibly get fired and have to go find some other job? No, no, no. This is do you remain faithful to God or die? Like that's a proper choice. I mean, when I was teaching middle school, I'd get these kids, they'd come after school, they wanted to hang out with Mr. Bardoni, they're all bored, out of their minds, they want to hang out with Mr. Bardoni, so I'd get like a half a dozen kids milling about in my classroom virtually every day after school, super annoying. <laughs> One day, this little girl, I can't even remember her name, it was so long ago, she was in the seventh grade, and I'm trying to work on my desk, and she's just lingering about, she starts asking me all of these questions, and somehow, Jesus comes up, somehow. Jesus came up. And I started asking her some questions. What do, you, what do you believe? Have you ever thought about God? Has anyone ever told you about Jesus? Within about 20 minutes, the two of us, and there were some other kids in the room. This was after school. The two of us sat at my little desk and I prayed with this little seventh grade girl to give her life to Jesus. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know exactly what like the law states, but right now I don't give a rip. This little girl's eternity is at stake. Now that's not to say God couldn't have used someone else at some other time. I wouldn't I'd be slightly presumptuous. But in that moment, I made the choice. I suspect that, that if, if, if our society continues on the trajectory, of course this would all change by the end of our 30 days of prayer, but if our society continues on its current trajectory, I suspect that those of us who are aspiring to live faithful to God might be confronted with choices similar to Daniel. There are parts of the world where this is a story that's being lived out all the time. Will you be faithful to God or die? Make your choice. Daniel made his choice. And he went upstairs. He left the windows open towards Jerusalem as always. Three times a day, he continued to pray. It was God. Verse uh, 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Verse 23, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition there, or petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. 
Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid in the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, no diversions were brought to him, no Netflix that night, and sleep fled from him. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, he was distraught. Verse 29. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Let's stop right there. If you've never heard the story, this is just, this is the best part. Although I suspect we all know what's going to happen. Has the God whom you serve, whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? You know, it's interesting when you think about how Daniel uh, has responded thus far, um, how, what he has said and how he's reacted uh, to all of this, uh, just this sort of craze of activity. Uh, the, the emperor, of course, is, is stressing out. He's, uh, apparently, he didn't want Daniel to be thrown into the den of lions. He had been tricked as well. Um, like I said, he, he kind of valued Daniel as one of his high officials. Um, all day, he's laboring to somehow reverse the injunction. Daniel's conspirators are busy uh, reminding the king, like, ah, king, like, we, we've been over this. You know the law. Even the emperor himself is subject to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Once it's been signed, there's no reversing the edict. And he's stressing. The conspirators are feverishly conspiring and working to make sure that their plan works. The king, is, he can't sleep. He's stressed out of his mind. And it all begs the question, is Daniel's God able to deliver? What is, where is Daniel in all of this? What is he saying? What is he doing? He's not, Daniel's not said anything. This is, this is what I love. Everyone's freaking out. The king is stressing, can't eat, can't sleep. The conspirators are like just on overdrive. And where's Daniel in all of this? Well, all we know is that he went upstairs, he got on his knees, and he prayed. 
Specifically, it says that he thanked God. He thanked God. Just like he had been doing all along. Is this not just a picture of an individual who's completely unaffected by the chaos around him? You know, we could ask a couple of questions at this point. Like, what is the, uh, what, what's the point of the story? What's, what's the moral of the story? What do you, what do you think we're meant to, to take away, at least at this point? Could, could it be that the moral of the story, that is, if you pray long enough and hard enough, if you're super duper faithful, like Daniel, then God will rescue you. Maybe, Maybe. Or could it be that the question or the point that we need to really be considering is, is in fact God able to deliver? Can he actually rescue Daniel if he chose to do that? Um, You might recall Daniel chapter 3. Remember uh, his mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? This was under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, similar situation. Uh, this, this sort of like emperor worship, this, this is a political move. This is a power play. This is a way to basically um, set yourself up as um, not quite a deity, but it's this idea of emperor deification. It is a political move, and it's something that happened all the time in the ancient world. Nebuchadnezzar, same thing. Um, some of the, his advisors get together and say, you should build like a statue and have everyone worship. And so he, he passed an edict saying, at, at just this right time, when you hear all the sounds and the trumpets, everyone is to bow down and worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They get found out. The king confronts them. And they say to him, you know what? Even if our God doesn't deliver us, even though we know he can, we will never worship your God, which is not even a God. It's a big golden statue. It's a, it's a shrine to your ego, and we're not going to play your game. But they said, even if God doesn't rescue us, they were going to be thrown into a furnace, like a blazing furnace. Even if he doesn't rescue us, even though we know he can, we will never bow to your God. I don't know if Daniel knows for certain that he's coming out of this alive. It doesn't say he's certain. He doesn't say anything. All we know is that he went upstairs and he got on his knees and began to thank God for all he knows. It's like, look, I'm 80-something years old. I'm ready to go home. Would have loved to have gone another way, but... Whatever happens, my God is faithful. Because I believe what God wants us to understand about this story 
is that no matter what happens, we know that God is able. He is able to deliver out of the fire furnace. He is able to deliver out of the lion's den. He is able to deliver no matter what the situation. God is able. Um, it, it would be we would be remiss not to notice the fact that um, not even the emperor of the kingdom itself, not even Darius, who if like if anyone can change anything about this situation, I mean, it would be like the emperor and not even Darius can reverse the injunction. Even the king's hands are tied. We're meant to, to really get a hold of this, this climax. What's going to happen? Nothing can reverse this situation. It seems like certain doom awaits Daniel. Can God deliver him? No one else can. Everyone else is freaking out. Is God able? Well, I think we know. Verse 21 Then Daniel said, he finally speaks, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Daniel is rescued from the den of lions. God is able to deliver God is faithful. Daniel rescued. Verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad, thank God, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought this gets intense, were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Hmm. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree, a new decree, that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God is able to deliver and he is able to vanquish evil. Now, we're going to go someplace, and this is, this is where I always start to feel slightly uh, nervous, because there is a side of God that terrifies me here. There's a part of God's character that is to be greatly feared. 
because God doesn't only rescue his children. God is the enemy of evil. He vanquishes evil wherever it's gone unchecked. Now, be sure that we're not reading and God commanded that they be thrown to the lion's den. Doesn't say that, but they were. And the point of the story isn't that God was only able to deliver Daniel from the power of the lions, but he was also able to vanquish evil. They were malicious. And not only the men who conspired against Daniel, but the generations that lie after them. The whole system, the whole debauched lot of them were thrown into the lion's den. And before they even hit the ground, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones to pieces. I, I hate thinking about that. I have children. It's, it's, a, it's a disturbing image. And it puts the fear of God in me. Because there will come a day when God will vanquish evil. We all know that this planet will not last forever. And whether it's that our, our, our earth just kind of fizzles out and the sun burns out. Or Jesus returns. And he says, right, I've waited thousands of years. I've sent prophets. I've given warnings. I myself entered into creation. I gave my life for you. I suffered on your behalf. I went to the lion's den and I died for you. Now come to me. Take refuge in me. Trust me. Because apart from me, all of the evil in this world, in your heart, and mine, will be vanquished. It will be done away with forever. It will be cast into the lake of fire. It will be dealt with forever. God is able to deliver and in the end, he will vanquish evil. I know as uh, Westerners, Americans, whatever that means to you. Um, this can sound very uh, turn or burn, you know, fire and brimstone, like, whoa, shocking. And, and we, we have a hard time, like, I think, really valuing this part of God's character. But you know why I think that might be? Is because we have never lived in Babylon. Not like this. Because we've never been the victims of conspiratorial persecution. We've never been thrown into a lion's den, left wondering, is this it? Will I end? Does, does evil win the day? Do the malicious conspirators win? And if we ever found ourselves sitting there, we might wonder, God, are you able to deal with this? Do you have the nerve to confront this evil and to do away with it once and for all? Are you strong enough, God? Do you have enough courage? Is there enough love in you to rescue your children and do away with evil once and for all? Yes, absolutely yes. This is a God who is loving and awesome.
We're going to end with a psalm. And then I'm going to invite the worship team to come up just after this. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. Speaking of decrees. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In Acts and Hebrews, this verse is attributed to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son. Draw near to him. Take refuge in him. Lest his wrath destroy you. It draws a very clear line, does it not? For those of you that know me, um, I, I don't spend my time thumbing through passages like, oh, let's gotta find a good wrath verse for us this morning. <laughs> but if you simply read the scriptures, this is the God that we find. A God whose love is, is so unfathomably intense and beautiful that it's, it's what we're all looking for. And a God who is so terrifying and powerful and utterly committed to vanquishing all that is evil and wrong in the world. It just draws a line right down the middle. And when God sent his son to die for us on the cross, this wasn't, hey... If you like it, try it on. If this is, uh, you know, this is what you're into, maybe, maybe you'll like it. No, this is, the world is broken. Every one of us were born by nature as children of wrath. We are all born into this system, this Babylon, if you will. And outside of God himself coming near to rescue us, we're all being thrown into the lion's den. But Jesus would say to us this morning, come near. Kiss the sun. Oh, what a beautiful picture of intimacy. He's not to be feared in that we're like, oh, God, like don't even get close. Now, because of Jesus, we're able to come boldly before the throne of grace and call this awesome God that the universe trembles at when we consider how powerful he is. He says, no, in Jesus, call me Father. 
Call me daddy. Come close. Come close. Where sin abounds, my grace abounds more. But you must come close to me. You must come under my covering. Otherwise, you will be consumed with the evil that will inevitably be vanquished in this world. Can we stand together, please?